I'm like the the chick in the in the opening of Scream. Welcome to a softcore erotica serial killer summer camp with 16-year-olds as the stars. Well, not really a softcore until, well, I, I wouldn't say at any stage. Uh, part 3, kind of, you know, I mean, Part 3 has the first official skinny dipping of the, um, of the series, but even that is kind of a mild. Well, I would say like in a mushy tofu kind of way, very softcore. Yeah, I would say e- extremely softcore. I've seen more hardcore softcore than what what is today's topic. But the main topic is let's let's recap this joke. A bear and a rabbit are in the woods. Both are taking a dump. The bear looks down at the rabbit and says, "Excuse me, Mr. Rabbit. Does shit stick to your fur?" The rabbit says, "No, Mr. Bear." So the bear wiped his ass with the rabbit. So I'm just wondering. If the feces does not stick into the rabbit's fur, then it doesn't make for a very good bathroom tissue, does it? Well, it can make a reusable bathroom tissue. It it might, of a good. Like if 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 it like scrapes or the or the leftover shit flakes from bear's ass and just throws them out, out like around his his ass in the nature. In that case, you know, yeah, it would actually clean his asshole. And at the same time, keep the rabbit <laughs> clean for the repeated usage. Yeah, was just wondering. Glad we cleared that out. That's how you make a franchise. So, Henrik, first off, we have part one, as stories usually do. And today we're going to discuss the first three parts of the Friday the 13th. Somehow we managed to go through 176 episodes and not touch on Friday the 13th. But, well... Is there reasons for that? Does it matter when we cover it? Not particularly, but let, let's 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 hear like kind of a background on what's your personal relationship with this franchise. Uh, first time I saw it, uh, was it part six or what was it? It was some, one of the really late sequels. It was my first entry point with Friday franchise. And I saw it as a as a really like as like a ten year old, nine year old perhaps when I saw it. Back then it was way too gruesome and too, way too terrifying for me. My young adolescent ass couldn't handle what what was back then. Uh, the it's it's the one where where the mortician eats Jason's heart and becomes the new Jason, and that was way too gruesome for me back then. But it. Evidently, did leave me with a everlasting mental image, especially the heart munching. So later on, I did track down what what it was actually that I I had watched as a kid, and finding out about Friday Thirteenth, the whole franchise. Eventually, went on and and checked out the entire franchise. But like it is with me, and oftentimes long ring franchises, it took me. Ages took me years before I actually checked out the original, the very first film. 
I'm part of the this whole generation who who grew up under the the illusion that Friday the Thirteenth is only about Jason. I, I'm like the the chick in the in the opening <laughs> yeah. of Scream, the the one who fucks up the whole who is the killer in in the Friday the Thirteenth question. That was me for the longest time. Okay, as far as I recall, this franchise came into my eyes fairly late like i was the kid who grew up on halloween and nightmare on elm street i have no recollection when jason came into the picture but i do remember that we had a a selection of a fair few of those friday the 13th dvds uh we did have the the first one i think in some form may have been like a vhs from tv then we had like a second and a third one on dvd maybe even the fourth but I never got around to watching like the later entries of the franchise apart from Jason X, which I did did see kind of with the rest of them. But uh, it wasn't until like five or seven or eight years ago when I finally was like, all right, okay, let's make it a mission to watch all of these films. And I did. And now it's done. <laughs> and uh, I didn't consider it to be a very scary movie in any sense. In fact, I considered it to be a pretty boring franchise when I jumped into it. So that could be my age, around 14 or so. Well, 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 um, neither observation is is wrong. I kind of share the same same feelings when it comes to Friday. I, I, well, I strongly believe that Friday, Friday the 13th is a franchise that gets better the longer it goes. So, like, the later sequels are actually way more interesting than the first ones, even though the first mm. ones are the more that have, have have more theme, and therefore they are more interesting to talk about, but the later sequels are definitely more interesting to watch. I agree. And none of these films, I would actually say that they are scary. Not to me say it in, in, in the sense that I would say mean that that would make the films bad. Not at all. Not every horror film needs to be scary, in my opinion. There, There is a place for just over-the-top violent horror films that don't have, like, a horror effect on you. It's okay to make just ha- be a horror film that works as an escapist fantasy. But, of course, the unfortunate downside of that move is that, well, if, if you are... Even though you don't need to be an, a thought-out meditation of deep societal issues, but if you are just just an escapist fantasy and in form of over-the-top violence, well, in that case, you know, like you may be really interesting, or not really necessarily interesting, but you may be a fun thing to see, but not necessarily a fun thing to talk about, and that's. Generally, why I I haven't been pushing us checking out Friday the 13th here in the podcast, because honestly, talking about especially the early years of this franchise is is kind of a daunting task. In my opinion, something like Jason X would actually be a film that you could you could you could actually have an easily have a more interesting conversation than something like part two or part three. Yeah. Nevertheless, I th- think there is something important f- in the franchises 
history in the one, two, and three. It's it's a, a certain kind of an evolution to to what the franchise came to be. Maybe more most prominently, the comedic elements get more and more pronounced in the third one, and then of course onwards. Yeah, today's lineup does make sense. Like, like yeah. when I say that Jason X would be perhaps more more easier to have an inter- interesting discussion about. I don't mean it as a criticism towards today's lineup. Today's the do- lineup does make sense in in the sense that, a, 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 like you said, it is the franchise. It's it's the history. It's the birthing ground of the whole whole Jason phenomena. But it also is well, basically these three films are the the physical uh, physical evolution of Jason Voorhees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though those. Those steps might not be anything huge, and you could have easily put all of those elements into one short movie. But yeah, they are spread out here, and uh, the films are still kind of looking their identity, and it gets more clear what kind of a formula uh, they have, at least at the end of the third movie, when of course the film series as, as a whole is also a kind of a phenomenon at that point. But anyway... Let's get into it. Uh, the first film, yeah, this was, it had a working title, although, according to the director, Cunningham, it was always supposed to be Friday the 13th, but anyway, just to have a working title, they had the title Long Night at Camp Blood, whereas Betsy Palmer's working title for it was A Piece of Shit. I guess that's what he called the film when he read the script for the first time. But then he went to the trash can and was like, Oh, all right, I actually need a new car, so might as well play the role in it. But I was going to remember this movie in a few years, and that'll be that, and I have my new car. But lo and behold, it was Betsy Palmer's The Movie. Um, pretty much it. We have been mentioning in past episode, how, episodes how horror com- community and horror fans, usually they are the most diehard or the most loyal fan base that you can have. Everybody always gushes about how marvelous piece of cinema something like Saving Private Ryan is, but nobody goes to Comic Con to actually get an autograph of any bit player from Saving Private Ryan. Nobody cosplays Saving Private Ryan in cons, but or horror genre altogether is the one where the fan base cosplays the the Jasons and the Pinheads and the Jigsaws. In, in Comic Cons, they, they line up to get an autograph from any minor side character from any one entry from the franchise. It's I, w- I would say, like I like, like mentioned before, horror fans, in my opinion, are the most loyal fan base that you can actually have. And that's also something that Betsy Palmer later on evidently has figured out as she mm. also has been touring on the cons and seeing how people flock to her and tell her how how influential and important her and her performance has been for them and how much they love her character and how much they sympathize with Mrs. Voorhees and think that she is also a victim in the situation. <laughs> All of this stuff. And basically they feed only... Feedback, the only source of that feedback is from horror films. Yeah. yeah. If we would like to kind of pull something, a kind of a finish, finish connection to the franchise. Yeah. 
it's easy to see why this film would have a rumor that it would have been inspired by the real-life Lake Budum murders in Espoo, Finland, June 5th, 1960. Then again... Because that's a well-known crime case that, of course, a small indie Hollywood production would have picked up on. Mm, mm, mm. Could be, could be also that it has nothing to do with it. Absolutely, I would say it has nothing to do with it. But mentioning Budum is interesting in, in the sense, even though I strongly have always, o- always suspected that Budum actually had nothing to do with Friday the 13th, but mm. these days Budum has at least one Friday the 13th-esque horror slasher entry film, you know, uh, behind its legacy. So it kind of like, like the like the rumor that the finished rumor that perhaps hey, our crimes, uh, crime story influenced at the time extremely small American horror slasher production, it has kind of come into a, a full circle where now Finns have made their own Friday the 13th about, well, not really about Lake Budum murders, but about, well, the lake. Yeah. Halloween and meatballs apparently equal Friday the 13th as well, because it was inspired, obviously, by Halloween and then meatballs, which was a teen sex comedy set in a summer camp, came out moments earlier. And this is the one of the first films, not the first film of Kevin Bacon, so you get some of that. But my actual thoughts on the film... I would say that even at its time, it's a cliche machine. The the kills are the best part about the film, no doubt about that. And then the follow-up ending reveal of the killer. But, of course, it's all ridiculous after that. But the, it's not particularly engaging, especially for modern audiences. I would say it's excruciatingly slow, specifically the first one. Also the follow-ups, but... Part one, seriously, drags, and as far as I recall, it takes quite a lot of minutes to to get to. Well, actually, in the first one, you get the first kill pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But so you do. Off screen, though. But yeah. no, no, you you get well, yeah, the, uh, the very first killing. Yes, true. Those are off off screen, or, or the second one. You know, you you get the the. Boy gets in physically, his inju- injury that is being shown on screen. The lady is like close up on her screaming face and faded to black, opening credits type of solution. But the killing I was actually reminiscing was the psycho esque fake out of what for the longest time we think is the leading lady of the, uh, of the film, which also happens pretty quickly. Mm. And it was noted in the documentary that this is kind of unintentionally flipping the psycho element. The mother is the killer, and uh, the, the son is the one who is kind of dead in the first one. And then there's, of course, the snake death. No peta around for, for this film. They took a machete and they killed a live snake. I was actually... Waiting to see if if you 
pick this one up mm-hmm. or rise it up in, in the discussions. Yes, I do. Because uh, animal death and animal cruelty on film is, is a topic that we have butted head, heads once before that was uh, the cannibal holocaust. Yeah, this was not very nice to watch because it, it was obviously a live snake that they killed. And yeah, there's a rumor that the owner was sobbing somewhere in the background when, when this happened. Well, why do you give your pet animal for this brutal Cunninghams and, and crew? I do not know. Well, then again, as, as the story goes, the, the snake handler was not aware that they were going to kill it. Jesus. He, 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 he had been promised that, you know, no harm. Or I, I don't know if he had been promised, but at least he had trusted the production that no harm will come to his pet, pet snake. The snake being his snake after all. And yeah, I also heard the rumor that, you know, he was a less less than enthusiastic to see what what the crew ended up doing to the snake. And apparently, like, the version I've heard goes as far as that it was about to go into the blows and that the, that the cast cast of the film had to kind of hold the, the animal handler at back so that he wouldn't just, you know, attack whoever is, is wielding the machete at that, that scene. Many fingers have been pointing out that it would have been Tom Savini who deals the blow, whose hand we see, but that's unconfirmed. Savini himself has stated that he was not on the set dur- uh, during the day when, when the snake was killed, and that he was not personally aware that they were going to going to kill the snake. Some others, on the other hand, suspect that it would have been Savini's idea to kill a live snake. So we don't actually really know know who killed it and whose idea it was. Yeah, it's a good thing that you brought that up because that's made me think that I think in the old days, so to speak, there was before we had a lot of communication tools available. Well, it just seems to me that that in the old days when they did movies, people left a lot of things unsaid and consciously so with the intention of leaving out something that would be something that the person doesn't want to take place. In this case, the de- death of the snake would be the thing if that indeed happened the way that you kind of describe it. And then the second thing, memory escapes me, who was the exact actor to whom this happened, but in the next film, she was supposed to appear and she was really enthusiastic to do so. And she was waiting to get the script. She never got the script. Then finally, a car pulls next to her apartment or somewhere. And then she hops on and comes to the film set. Well, it turns out that kind of the movie has been already shot. And they're just there to shoot the remaining little pieces where she is needed and she needs to die in that scene, which is not something that she probably particularly desired to happen to her character. Yeah, there's a lot of these kind of nasty, nasty uh, off-screen habits that you read from film history. Yeah, that, of course, also something that definitely factors in here is that, like you said, it is history. Like, the whole whole system of filmmaking, especially... 
in America and the, the tradition how films are made and the whole but and, and the culture itself it, it is kind of constantly going through different types of changes sometimes bigger sometimes more sometimes you get a get something like me too oftentimes you don't you just get more minor not so not so obvious changes in the in the working habits and a lot of the the choices that these older films make even though it it, it doesn't make what they do acceptable and it's it's not really I don't state this as a as a defense. I'm not trying to defend, for example, the snake killing in, in Friday by by saying this. But I can see that there is like a toxic toxic traditions of filmmaking culture that have perhaps have been laying behind when they were shooting the first Friday, which are would be traditions that the, these days, thankfully, we have kind of finally been able to left past, but. Like like you mentioned, the film history itself, especially like American film history, it's 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 really dark. It's really messy in its traditions and the conventions how films were have been made, how the film productions have been protected, how actors have been treated, how animals have been treated on set, etc., etc., etc. It's it's a really dark chapter. Yeah, taking advantage of. Not only animals, but people alike. But yeah, I always thought that the first film, it's kind of painfully slow and nothing really happens for several minutes. And the film is not enjoyable visually either. I always thought that the Friday the 13th movies were a bit subpar to everything else that was happening at the time when we're talking about the big guys like Halloween franchise, even if it's bumpy and uneven as hell and Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but even Nightmare on Elm Street movies, they tend to have more character uh, than Friday the 13th movies. I, I haven't never even had any Friday the 13th marathons or anything like that, unlike with the other films. But yeah, like I said, I don't know what switched in my brain, but I finally watched all these movies uh, like only five or seven, eight years ago. And I, I think this mostly, mostly these films are kind of dull and it's just that Sean Cunningham finally lucked out with the first one and then Steve Miner Miner made a better sequel and that kickstarted it all and like and then like always the the public vote on these things at the end of the day that these these films should be preserved for all eternity in the library of congress or for its contributions to art and cinematic achievements thanks to the public and enthusiasm only towards these films, how they put their money into these films. So it's mostly the public's manipulation of the spotlight, I would say. The public decided that this these will be the movies that we will enter into horror history. Could be, I think, argued whether that was worthwhile or not. There are millions of movies like this from the 80s alone, and I don't really think that Friday did anything far too exceptional to deserve this spotlight except for the character which is it's it's all right it's it's what's keeping these movies alive after all that's all these movies have it's just not very good movies that they put out as a teenager i kind of used to hate these movies actually but i've grown a little bit softer on that stance 
I don't know. I do think that Friday the 13th, even though, even though I, I too, I, I do agree with you that they are not really the most interesting films ever made in horror genre. Uh, they they do get more interesting as the series goes on, in my opinion. But even then, mm. you know, we can they they ain't like Nightmare on Elm Street, and I wouldn't say well. Well, the best entries are better than the worst in Friday are better than the worst entries in in the Halloween. Yeah, sure. But I I wouldn't say that. It's it's necessary even as as inventive as what Halloween was, but I still wouldn't make the case that Friday as a franchise would be completely without a merit, or the, even that the first films are completely without a merit and wouldn't actually be deserving of the of their place, mm. or that they would be wouldn't be deserving of their place in the spotlight. I kind of do feel that. They're actually, like, especially the first Friday, it is smarter than people often give it credit to. I'm not saying that it's it's super smart horror slasher film or anything like that, but I do think that it, it, it is smarter, it is more interesting than usually is being stated. I really don't hate it as much as, well, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert did. Like I said, I think that the standouts here are the kills. Today, we have tried everything under the sun, but at the time, they were really good. And even today, I think they work pretty well because they are yeah, they are switching the expectations. Yeah, you expect one thing and then another thing happens. Yeah, I also feel that basically, we're the first first two films i would say also kind of work as a thematic mirror to to halloween franchise and they they uh, and uh, jason Voorhees as a killer is kind of a, a mirror image to michael myers they're kind of like mm. thematically they they are two opposites of the same coin right and uh, there are some connections whether intentional or not some of them are more clearly intentional references uh, for for example in the third part it's a small things like names there is this elderly couple and the guy's name is harold in halloween 2 any uh, horror fans out there might might remember harold you want mayonnaise on your sandwich how about mustard yeah, that guy is there watching night of the living dead from the telly and we have a Harold in part three of Friday. And Harold is this absolute weirdo who drinks something and then eats random items in the couple's grocery store. And then he goes to see a snake eating their rabbits. And then he thinks the best idea is to go have a seat on the toilet. Yeah. Sees a snake eating their rabbits and he, his first impulse is to take out a python. Aha, uh -huh, I see what you did there. But otherwise, yeah don't know why that happens but harold harold is there and uh originally the the third film it was supposed to take place in hospital apparently where Ginny would have been chased around like halloween to anyone but then amy still decided against appearing in that film so that storyline was scrapped but yeah 
Regarding part two, n nothing specific to add to what we have already said, but yeah, the film starts with the flashback scene, which desperately needs an editor there. Trans for about, what, six minutes? And then they this repeats in the follow-up part, actually. But yeah, I kept thinking when watching this film again, that the good-looking girls and the good-looking boys, that's, that's the thing here. That and the very soft, very extremely soft erotica that you get in your average horror film. That's what sells the, the tickets. This this might be extremely important, actually, for, for the straight audiences out there. And maybe something that makes some of these horror movies sometimes, to me, kind of boring. More, more boring than for the straight audiences. But I don't know, yeah. There's this... Uh, Who's the killer aspect that appears in the first part? And they could have maybe played it a bit longer, like in the first one. In the first one, you have no clue who the killer is, but then in the second one, it's kind of plain as day what is going to happen, because there's this camp story said out loud. Who Who is going to be the killer, which is Jason. Jason and uh, small things like that. But then again, the part two was originally... Uh, or Cunningham was was presenting to part two originally to be an anthology, or a series altogether to be an ontology series, much like Carpenter tried to do with with Halloween three. So even even though yeah, perhaps the the end scenario in the released version of Friday Part two is kind of obvious, but it wasn't always in the franchise's cards. Had the studio actually gone with Cunningham's vision, we would have had completely different type of story, a completely different type of killer. I don't know if that would have made the film better or worse. Most definitely did not work for Carpenter. But like the possibility at once still was there. Mm. Could explain also why Cunningham was so against the idea of creating part two, at least in the way that... Like, I don't know who's to blame at the end of the day, if I were to use that word. But who who was responsible for the direction of part two? Nevertheless, Steve Miner didn't have seem to have these kind of problems that Cunningham and the others seem to have with the idea of bringing Jason as the killer. Which, of course, it doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, in the first movie, you have Mrs. Voorhees, who is kind of revenging on the death of his son because he drowned in like the, the idea is that it's stupid to have Jason in the follow-ups also said by Betsy Palmer who didn't understand why and who is this guy with the hockey mask in the sequels and all that talk well I I just used to think and reason in the film's universe that he came back from the dead to avenge her mother's death that's why he kind of respawns from the lake or wherever. I mean, the, the whole franchise doesn't make much sense. So I'm just... That's, that's that's what I think when I'm watching these movies myself. And then the fans, those who defend the actions of the mother, well, I don't I don't know if, if that's kind of reasonable. Mrs. Voorhees, if she'd actually been a sane person, of course, she could have actually advocated for better camp counseling going going forward and being kind of active in the 
camping, scouting circles, improving their internal processes or whatnot. Instead, what she decided to do was to slaughter the people, just like her son, for doing what he did. He, it was just a kid, Jason, who was enjoying the life while accidentally drowning in the process. Now she's out to kill everybody else that is like Jason, basically. Yeah, of course it's it's not like acceptable behavior, but it is some primal level, it is understandable behavior from her end. To, yeah, if you're a crazy person, as she clearly is, taking revenge on people who had nothing to do with it. Yeah, obviously, obviously she is a crazy person, but she's also a person who has been driven into insanity by the loss of her son, which is a pain that, well, I've never thankfully experienced, seeing how I myself don't have kids, but my many talks and dead baby jokes with actual parents have taught me can be an extremely traumatizing event to a person. But more, more than, you know, really try, try to somehow argue was was Mrs. Voorhees at right in, he, in her actions. Obviously, she was not. But the, the bigger effect, in my opinion, that it has, that the whole Jason backstory and Mrs. Voorhees' motives have for the franchise is the fact that they kind of reframe Jason from from just pure evil as as a character into something of a more sympathetic slasher killer. He is, uh, at the end of the day, it, it's good to remember that as even, even the first film points out with its closing scene, Jason was at some levels mentally retarded as a, as a child and he was heavily bullied for it and his drowning... Well, at least for the, the, the message given to you by the later entries in the sequel was a malevolent act from the from the bullying kids. So in, in that sense, Jason in, in the franchise, he is both the villain and he is the victim, which kind of reframes him at least partly into not, not acceptable, and not understandable, but on some level a tragic anti-hero. And then there's also also that using the fear of physical deformity. Unfortunately, this 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 is becoming a bit more outdated now at this point. But Jason is basically the Elephant Man with some violent yeah. tendencies, of course. Yeah, there again, you know, name me a film that hasn't played this game or, or a franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean gosh, all the Halloween. Absolutely. The, the horrors of the mentally ill. Yeah, just just putting it out there. It certainly plays the card. You're looking at a distance. You see a barn window there somewhere. And there's a horrible monster looking at you, which is just a deformity of a... Of a of an illness. So I tried to make the case that for you, the, the later entries actually become easier to, to kind of swallow or accept. Seeing how in, in those, that the whole deformity and, and the possible mental retardness of Jason is kind of swept under the rock and Jason becomes more the zombie man killer. To be honest, I, I don't have a view on this topic. 
it's just as since you came up with the or mentioned the deformity then i mentioned this dimension as well i have no interest in going further in that into that it is something that horror movies often use okay because as a franchise wise that actually that the shift that happens in jason that they're lessening, uh, paying attention into his physical deformity and him just being more of a rotting zombie person is kind of a contrast also with Jason himself losing a part of himself mentally or him losing an aspect of his character. As Jason in the later sequels becomes more of a zombie man and less a deformed freak as he is in the early films, at the same time he also becomes less of a complex character whose acts of violence stem from well his troubling uh, relationship with the concept of love and also perhaps some type of a perceived payback to his childhood bullies and and failed attempt to deal with the trauma that his childhood has caused to him and becomes just more of a mindless killer who kills because, well, a zombie man. Yeah, that's a point. Was it the fifth or fourth part or sixth or where does it happen that for the duration of one film it's not actually Jason. It's just kind of like a... He, he takes the body of another person to, to again, be flesh and blood. That's... Yeah, that was... What, what was that? Like, like, I don't remember. Was it, was it seventh or eighth or yeah. ninth film? Film on this? Um, if I remember correctly, like the, the lineup goes, the first one is Mom, then the two, three, and four... Are Jason just continuing his rampage and refusing to die? Fifth one is the is the second fake out where it's not Jason, and the sixth one then would be the one where he resurrects as a zombie man as a result from the lightning strike, and from that point onwards he would be the zombie man, hmm. and then you know he would have. Correctly, it was it was the ninth. Jason goes to hell, which is the the weird possession storyline thingy. Yeah, all the avenues have been gone through. Then again, like like I said, uh, some of the avenues actually are, in my opinion, legitimately interesting, including the the twist on on the fifth entry entry, which kind of argues that at that point, thanks to his his infamous na- nature or reputation, Jason can work uh, physically. Jason, Jason can just work as a foil or as a scapegoat for any one person's attempted rampage. As it is in the fifth one, the, like, like I said, the killer is not Jason. He is a grieving father who has lost his son to police, and the whole killing spree there there is an act of vengeance from the father's end. Jason is just a foil, a cover, a skin under which the father hides his 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 own identity and his own, his actions, so that after the killing would be done, the father could kind of just take away the the Jason mask, put it away, and just quietly return back to society as the father. Yeah, to be honest, some of the ideas that they had also in the Halloween franchise on the level of a script that never came to be maybe could have been still interesting to see those kind of a 
ghostly all or the psychological impact of for example michael myers in the franchise now that he would have been actually dead almost definitely and i I I think that they not only more interesting to interesting not only interesting to see I think that taking those different avenues in Halloween would have also greatly helped the franchise itself. Yeah. Because to be honest, artistically, but box office probably not. Yeah. Uh, well, perhaps not box office. Granted, but legacy-wise, perhaps yeah. Because at the end of the day, I kind of feel that from the two killers here, Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, I kind of feel that Michael Myers is the more boring one. Not not to mean that he's he's the worst for one, or that Halloween films would be worse than than Fridays. No, I I do champion Halloween films more, but I do think that Michael is more boring as a killer. Okay, hmm. as in there, there's less avenues where to take Michael, who is a Extremely blank slate. Yeah, precisely that. Like, whenever people talk about about why Michael Myers works as a killer, like you mentioned, the always argument is that Michael Myers is a blank slate, which means that you can project anything you want onto Michael Myers. And that's all true. It's all fun and dandy, and I have no problem with that. But at the same time, also... As the argument goes, Michael Myers is a blank slate. You can't do anything with blank slate except project whatever you want onto it. But the blank slate itself is nothing more than a blank slate. And that's kind of where, in my opinion, the main difference between Jason and Michael exists. Because, and once again, this is stronger here on, on the more boring early entries in the franchise. But especially in the early entries of the franchise... Jason is more than just a blank slate. That's the, the kind of a switcheroo that I already mentioned happens with the franchise. The later sequels become kind of... In my opinion, they do become more interesting to see, but at the same time, it comes with the expense of Ma- Jason becoming more and more a blank slate. It's kind of a tragic... It's kind of understandable. But yeah, yeah, especially... In the, in the early parts of, of Friday, I do find Jason to have more in him than what Michael ever had. And let's or, or not, not to, to correct myself, to correct myself, not to what Michael ever had, because actually with, with Michael Myers, there is the new, new trilogy, which goes leaps and bounds to actually finally craft something out of mouse or from Michael Myers. Yeah, it was supposed to leave it all out, but then again, cycle repeats itself. Oh, gotta do a sequel. What do we do with Michael? Can't really do nothing, can we? Yeah, and I'm I'm not like <sighs> everyone can agree and disagree, like like we did when we we talked about Halloween Ends and how we felt about that film. But well, well, something I, in my opinion, can't be taken away from Halloween Ends is that there is a noticeable attempt to actually take Michael Myers or make Michael Myers into something else than just a blank slate. Like that's where, where Michael Myers operates as some type of a, a semi-physical spectra over Haddonfield, who at first is a possessive force and, and lives under the townspeople's psyches and later... Uh, 
as the film goes on, he becomes flesh and blood and and gets into the final act with Laurie Strode. Yada, 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 yada. Yeah, yeah, that's the closest we ever got to the sort of original Halloween 4 script. Yeah. The psychological aspect. And and like I, like I said, depends on, on your take, did it work or did it not work? But that's kind of where we were with Michael Myers. Like, you had to do something this drastic, or you were just, like, stuck with a fucking blank slate. Like you were in the new trilogy's first film. And also in the second film, where once again Michael Myers... In the, in the first two, two green films, Michael Myers really is... He still isn't... He kind of is nothing. He's just a blank slate. Yeah. I, I, I do like the direct continuity of the early Friday films, at least. The direct continuity nature of this, these films. In Halloween universe, it goes all over the place and you have a gazillion different timelines going on and nobody knows anymore what the hell is going on. But yeah, here it's it's pretty clear. So I do like that one. I think it works to the film's benefits. benefit. It, it kind of works to a point. It works to a point. In my opinion, in the part three, they already are running into problems and they're running out of avenues where they can actually take Jason and where they can take the continuity even. There were parts one and two. In my opinion, those share a, a really good continuity between themselves, yeah. especially in, in the thematic sense. But yeah. with part three, they're basically the only only major effect. And it still is a major effect, but the only major effect that, that part three has for the continuity is to give Jason the iconic hockey mask. Which, <laughs> yeah. once again, yeah, 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 it's a major part for the franchise. But... Hockey mask Jason is the Jason that we all know, but it's a thematic dead end, actually. Yeah, it's really nothing, and I, I don't think it was... Meant to be nothing much. Although it's a cooler, cooler look than than what we had in in the second one. The whole uh, the town that dreaded sundown esque look. Yeah. But but yeah, very quickly these movies start to repeat and kind of get formulaic. You have a bunch of teenagers or supposedly teenagers who go to this lake. They just can't stay away from there. Uh, someone dies and the rest will follow and there's a final girl, some minor reveals or nothing much at all. And then by the end, yeah, some kind of a sequel bait and some re- really repeating elements like, oh, I take the, the canoe to the lake and take a little nap there and wake up and something horrifying happens. Uh, what did you think about the, <laughs> now the Mrs. Voorhees coming from the lake and uh, tilting the canoe. I kind of see what they were tra- uh, going for there. It's it's important to remember that Friday the 13th as a franchise, well, it never was actually meant to be a franchise. When Cunningham visited the first film, he did not see sequels. When he saw, saw sequels, he, saw, he thought about anthology and well, the sequels more came more because you know the production house, especially Paramount, was was interested in in pushing them out because they make money. But at the same time, Paramount also was kind of ashamed that they esteemed 
Library of Cinema also has to to house trash like Friday the Thirteenth sequels. Hmm. So also Paramount was constantly looking ways to to end the franchise. Friday the Thirteenth famously is the franchise that has tried <laughs> to end at least what three times. Yeah, it's never sticked because every single time the movies just make too much money. And even though they try to end it, even though they have promised that this is the final chapter and Jason goes to hell and this is the Friday, final Friday and what's nuts, every single time the box office just, they just look at the numbers and come into the conclusion, ah, perhaps one more film and then we end it for real this time. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of see what they were trying to do. I kind of understand why, why they have that ending. Mrs. Warhees appearing from the lake. It's a callback to the first film. It's meant to be kind of a, a closing off the circle. Now the whole family has... Well, both, the family's both killers have come out of the lake as zombie people. I'm, I'm not a fan of it, but I can understand why it is there or what was what the attempt was. It, to a point, it even could have worked my opinion, as thematically. Like, it could have been, been uh, some type of a closing of, a, of an arc, okay. arc of a love, and and the franchise, the, the, uh, and love as the franchise understands it. But the execution just kind of didn't work. Yeah, they kind of tried to have the part three as the last part, and the, in the last frames you see that... that Mr. Hockey Mask is seemingly dead, but it just keeps on continuing. This was also the first 3D film of Paramounts in 28 years, so the, apparently they needed an advertising gimmick latched onto the film. People started to kind of realize what kind of a formula the filmmakers were, were dealing with, so they needed something new. And with that framing, do you think that this is kind of one of those 3D movies where... Nothing was uh, exerted plot-wise, but it's more about the effects, which I've never seen. I've never seen a 3D movie. Apparently, it's not very well even available. Yeah, the 3D movie, my, as far as I've understood, is not on open uh, circulation to be bought. As far as I know, it's just in the theaters, if if there. Yeah, yeah. I, I have uh, early finish was it the future film release dvd version of of the third film and unlike with friday the third uh unlike with nightmare on elm street which also had a had a bad 3d sequel in it uh with that film's release the 3d elements were as a special feature so that you could still get like you had the opportunity to experience the, the 3d scenes of, of Freddy's death. But when it comes to Friday part 3, if I remember correctly, they ain't in the DVD extras. Mm. As far as I've understood, they, they never have, there is no DVD or Blu-ray release that would have the, the 3D effects on yeah. the disc in any form, in anywhere. But of course, like, is the 3D extremely gimmickry? In part three, yeah, it is. It was also a nightmare for the production company, or at least for mm-hmm. the for the actors who had to do really like hit the spot 
in certain scenes where the wallet really truly had to hit the camera like in a straight line so that the effect could be captured. And yeah, mostly it's it's pointless, mostly it's lame. My, at times it even even hurts hurts the film itself because there are a number of scenes where it's obvious that for those scenes the acting comes second and having the 3D gimmick comes first. But at the same time, you know, in, in the film's defense, the film's defense, it's 3D. Like, what the hell else were you supposed to do with it? Just, I mean, just ask James Cameron. He's two Avatar films. What you gonna do with 3D unless, if if not gimmicks? Mm. <laughs> because 3D itself, it, it's nothing more. It's a, it's a visual gimmick for, for films. There, there is no no secret dimension to be crafted out of out of three D projection, in my opinion. So in that sense, mm. I fully understand, and I, I I'm not crucifying Friday Part Three for for the three D gimmicks. It was a stupid tre- trend in in the what what in the sixties. It was stupid trend in the eighties. It was stupid. It is stupid trend now in two thousands. And the whole thing is it's just gimmickry. It's best used in gimmicks. So if you're gonna have it, just you know, have fun gimmicks. At least Friday Part Three has a bunch of objects coming at to- to- towards you to stab somebody. Shots, so that you know, at least it's entertaining gimmickry. Yeah, at, at least the one that kind of speaks to you or <laughs> seems definitely. 3D-ish, even in the 2D version, is the one when Jason shoots the harpoon gun when he has finally gotten his hockey mask. It's, it's kind of cool. But 3D is a gimmick, certainly, at the moment. Maybe someday we get an actual technology that will make it look proper, but right now, no, we're not quite there yet. Well, I don't believe that because I don't see a venue. I don't see what 3D actually could could bring 3D to your film. Dimensions, not gimmicks. Well, yeah, dimensions. But the only thing that you do with the dimensions, it's just a a bit more like visual flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. that's all. Like it, it won't really change the experience. It it does not enhance the story. No. It does not give you a new perspective in into anything. But it could, Just like... could be kind of like what happened when we got from black and white to color. Could be what happened when we got from from PAL NTSC to 4K high def. And that kind of a leap. Maybe at some point. It depends nah, on how they I'm, I'm not, do it. I'm not seeing it. But it's definitely not going to be something with special glasses in the cinema, I don't think. It can become standardized once we get rid of the glasses, but I don't actually see it being any type of a type of a leap in the sense of having sound or colors in in your film. Like, like to me, the 3D, the leap that it can provide, it's, it's the leap from Doom 2 to Doom 3. Yeah, 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 the picture, picture is nicer. But the graphic engine can only span fewer enemies, so you got more of the monster closets. <laughs> yeah, in the way that we understand 3D right now, definitely not. But knows. I know. 
I am a film podcasting professional. Oh. I have all the answers and all the knowledge. And I know 3D <laughs> is always a gimmick and will never change. <laughs> Let's see in 20 years. I'll, I'll come back to this episode. You, you, you can actually carve it into my tombstone. <laughs> Special mention for an actor goes to... Well, I personally thought that Amy Steele had pretty good chops here compared to many of the rest. Amy Steele as Ginny, as it's pronounced by Paul. Ginny is my choice. Uh, she's kind of one of the few actually who tries to use her brain to put it all together that maybe being at the campsite is not such a great idea. And then she has these introspective moments and looks in her eyes that, hey, hey, what? wait, wait a minute. Hmm. And that kind of resonated with me and I kind of bought that she would could actually be like a real person in the film. Well, I, on my end, I will choose Kristen Baker from part two, who played Terry. Uh, exactly two reasons for that. First of all, she's the best dog lover in, in, in this whole franchise. And second of all, well, it's a simply and shame, uh, shamelessly just a physical a- attraction. <laughs> Here you go. That's, that's why people go watch horror films. Isn't it? Like 50%, at least. Says he, and wanted to do the Exorcist episode. <laughs> well, what worked? As far as I go, well, they created a horror movie character of iconic dim- dimensions, yeah. They apparently did. And I do like the humorous elements that they implanted into the franchise. Because I, I think that's where this series works the best. In this comic book type of splattery and over-the-top cinematic world. Something that the remake did never realize, by the way. And intentionally, for sure. But why? God's sake. The remake, it's kind of like an attempt to capitalize on that Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake type of gore cinema of the time, of the noughties. But Jason is no Leatherface. Yeah, um, I would I would say things that work here are... Uh, well, most definitely Jason, who, like I already mentioned, has has more four dimension, has more depth than than some of his counterparts, to a point where you can even argue that perhaps Jason is is some type type of a tragic anti anti hero of the franchise. Also, at times, I I do feel that the films are actually smarter than a lot of people. People give them credit for. Uh, one example of this would be that uh, at times the camera of, of the first film, not in the sense that it necessarily captured any breathtakingly beautiful images or vistas, but in the sense how it actually works as a voyeuristic camera, like Schrasser genre especially, it has always had a voyeuristic element to it. The audience are given a certain perspective that is that does not belong into to the victims of the of the film. We get to see the victims from from the secret perspective. Quite usually, that is the killer's POV that is being utilized. And Friday one also mostly uses this. Mostly the voyeuristic camera is, is from, from killer's perspective. But there are a couple of scenes, 
couple of moments where the camera definitely, noticeably, clearly has a physical presence in the film's universe, even though it is invisible, still, and it does not belong to the killer, which which kinda enhances the idea that the camera is a proxy for the audiences. And that way, it kinda makes the audiences more explicit and more complicit in what happen, transpires throughout the first film. Because we are, it gives us the moment that we can be the individual, invisible, ghostly spectator to what happens. So, small notches like that. It's, it's not a, a groundbreaking innovation, but it's something, something that I didn't see in, in, uh, in Burning, that I didn't see in Prom Night and other Friday and and Halloween copycats that came out. So there are, in my opinion, there are not just perhaps accidental genius, but still genius. Yeah, either that or like humoristically noted by my partner that the cameraman is the killer. And sometimes the cameraman is indeed the killer. And uh, uh, there are some moments where visual cues that the film is trying to fool you that the point of view is now of the killer, but then it turns out it's not. So, yeah, I also liked moments like that there. What didn't work? Well, they may have created this iconic horror movie character, but then everything else around it is a bit fragile. It's it's brittle. Because no one remembers these individual names of the characters. You could argue that the film is not about these individual characters, but it would have made the films stronger. Like, we do remember generally the characters in Halloween and Nightmare sequels, but here the characters, they're basically just canon fodder, changing from sequel to sequel. Yeah, to me, the the biggest what didn't work, well, like you said, they are kind of boring films. The unfortunate reality, which also Cunningham himself lamented later on, is the fact that the most thing to enjoy and watch in in these films are the kill counts. Yeah. And so, and with that, like the, the longer stretches of time that you go without kills, the more boring the films kind of get, because that's what what you signed up here for. You signed up to see the bloody murders. If it takes 15 minutes before the killing starts good and proper, it means that it's kind of 15 minutes of boredom. Especially with the canon for the characters, where there really is nothing to really root for. Even though, you know, something like part 3 does try to have, through its main character, some type of a discussion about trauma and and facing the, the perpetrator of your trauma years later. But Honestly, did anyone give a shit about that plotline? No, but I, if something to appreciate in these films, I kind of do appreciate that there is, even though the jokes may not exactly land, but at least there's one kind of a shiny personality. There's this comedic relief characters, which, yeah, probably piss you off. Let's hear about that. Some of them did, most of them did, not everyone did. There were funny jokes. I did like the Beethoven joke <laughs> in, in the second one. 
I hated the comedic prankster side character kid in the third one who goes who has the collection of Fangoria magazines and goes on just pulling the pranks on everybody like a dude who couldn't have died too soon <laughs> so it, it's it's a mixed bag absolutely hated some of them not all of them some of them even kind of worked and were sympathetic uh yeah and interestingly the that the part two's humoric character he doesn't die so this mm. comes all the way back to how sean cunningham and steve Miner they don't they don't agree with this cliche that you usually see in horror films that if you do an act a sinful act then you must die this is not something that they had in mind when when doing the film and the film doesn't agree with that either so there's that whereas maybe with john carpenter's halloween you can have that argument although the man vehemently denies having anything like that so describe the film in one word and this seems a little harsh but it's definitely there so i'll go with shallow well seeing how we essentially are talking about a love story here i'm going with heartfelt <laughs> okay it is absolutely correct assessment will these movies survive the test of time they already have done that they will and by the virtue of few successes in this franchise it's just just a question of putting up a new box set and you sell stuff like friday the 13th part 3 3d like hotcakes yeah and the new box set is gonna come out whenever the next sequel or reboot shows up yeah so in these moments i'm i'm really kind of feeling it the most that it's it's not fair there's a few movies that were successful probably legitimately or or well deservedly so and then the rest of the shit shows in the franchise are allowed to be carried on from generation to generation to generation it pains me um i don't know it kind of depends on what you count as the shit shows halloween 6 comes to mind from halloween halloween resurrection all of these movies are allowed to stay alive because of a few gems i think it's just mm. unfortunate yeah true well complete the sentence please you really know you're watching friday the 13th movies when when you otherwise boring summer camp is quietly turned into a repetition of possibly the Boodoo murders. Mm. You really know you're watching Friday the 13th movies when... Well, you probably don't know it, unless you wait to see the guy in the hockey mask. Otherwise, it could be any 80s horror flick, apart from the... <laughs> Did you like these films? Me? To be honest, it's it's kind of always been a mental ordeal to get through these movies so just to be honest with myself no i didn't enjoy these movies yeah i can't either say that i enjoyed uh, the first three fridays even though i i do think that or i i do enjoy them more kind of existing in tandem with the halloween franchise yeah yeah let's not forget these movies would not exist without halloween these are most famous Halloween copycat movies, as is quite evident if you have seen them. Would you ever rewatch the film? Uh, no, I, I actually I, I had no plans whatsoever of watching these movies ever again. Not that I would be vehemently opposed to these movies, but it is 
Also a fact that this podcast came by and that's why I'm watching these movies now. I'll I'll try to watch something else. And uh, maybe this podcast has also taught me that no, I don't need to go back so often all the time. It's time to watch something new as much as possible. Life is short. I I have said that I will not rewatch them the, the first three films. I've said it to myself at least four times in the course of the f- years, and here I am once again rewatching them. So my answer is no. Okay. And if if history repeats itself as much as this franchise does, well, I'm going to co- gonna eventually go back on my word and just rewatch them. We have agreed tonight more than I was expecting. Well, we still have the final question where we can start a real fight. But the Jason X is actually pretty decent entry into franchise. It actually is a pretty damn decent entry into the <laughs> franchise. Most definitely, I, I honestly, I don't understand the hate that Jason X got get, gets. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it still has that humoric aspect of the of the franchise. It has the most jokes out of any of these films. So in that sense, it's it's keeping the legacy up in space. Would you recommend the film? All right, so uh, I guess I would recommend that you watch maybe one of these one of these entries from the '80s, just to have kind of basic understanding about this part of the movie history. <laughs> then you could also argue that you could do that with anything else as well, like Prom Night, but not quite because this one made it and Prom Night kind of didn't. So, uh, so the audiences have voted with their feet, that this is this franchise is supreme to most of the other stuff, then I guess you should know about it, for just technicality's sake. If you're not interested in that kind of information, then heck, check out Prom Night. It's pretty terrible, from what I recall, but more interesting than the original Friday, I would argue. Or maybe go watch Maniac, or My Bloody Valentine, or Sleep Away Camp, for God's sake. Yeah, I actually... Do think that the Fridays are way more interesting than than prom night? A sleepaway camp? Oh, sheesh! <laughs> first, first came Halloween and and shamed the, the mentally ill, and then came came fri- uh, Friday and shamed the the physically retarded, and then came sleepaway camp, shamed the trans people. Ah. Yeah, um, most definitely I I wouldn't put Prom Night and Sleep Away on, on top of Friday, or in, in front of Fridays. The first one, yeah, maybe. No, no, def- definitely check out Fridays, rather. In my opinion, I am, I actually do kind of recommend checking out the, the early films of the franchise. I especially recommend them... If if you are a true listener of of this set podcast, I've have gone the lengths to to check out the Halloween franchise. <laughs> because 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 Fridays actually in my opinion they they provide a pretty interesting especially the first two Fridays provide a pretty interesting kind of a sister piece to to Halloween films. Okay. At, at the at the end of the day, both both franchises deal with love, not not directly, but in in the thematic sense. For Michael, 
in, in Halloween's love is something to demolish. The famous killing of, of 63 literally hits close to home with Michael, the victim being his, his blood, and therefore someone who generically generically it would be think, thought that Michael would feel the, the closest bond of love seeing how their the relationship is is physical or, or the connection is physical it's genetical brother and sister so from that point on uh, reading the situation for Michael to love is to kill the object of your love it's later in the, in the Halloween franchise it's even enforced when it's canonized that that Lori is Michael's sister and 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 Michael goes after Jamie in in parts four and and five. So there is the plot connection, which should mean that you have a close bond to the to the person. And and for Michael, close bond means that you have to kill kill the target of the bond. In Friday, love is is the main motive. Uh, is also the motive for the killings. Mrs. Voorhees gives due to love to avenge his son. In part two, the only time when Jason willingly travels outside of Crystal Lake in eight movies is to kill Alice from from the first film to avenge his mother's death. And later in in part two, Jason is tricked by invoking the image of his mother. He's again tricked in, in part four by invoking an image of his childhood. So in, in Friday to love is to punish any perceived wrongdoing and uh, towards, the wa- uh, towards one's blood. And in that sense, in that sense, I, I do think that ba- basically the two films, the, the two franchises work kind of hand in hand. I'm not meaning that they are super, super smart, neither one of them in, in this aspect, but like if, if you watch both Halloween and Friday as love stories and what they have to say about, about blood love, it's, you actually find, find that they have very different messages about, about love, how, how, how love is being perceived by the franchise's respective killers and also another thing that i i do think that is is something why you should check out fridays if if you are a halloween fan is also basically the psyche of the killers which is kind of also a mirror mirror reflection in in halloween dr loomis famously rants from one movie to the to another how how michael is a blank slate how he is pure evil how there is nothing inside of him except the eternal darkness etc 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 but in in friday you can actually make the argument that jason is not as big of a blank slate that there is more personality behind jason than there is it behind michael and with that comes the possibility that unlike Michael, Jason necessarily wouldn't have to be a killer. Not necessarily. Like mm-hmm. Halloween franchise makes makes it crystal clear that you can't heal Michael Myers. And necessarily in Fridays you couldn't heal Jason either, but you perhaps you could pacify him. 
with a mental health institution. Perhaps even Jason would be happier in in being locked up, locked up in in an institution where you where he would be cared for and he could have his own peace. Perhaps that would be like a happy ending for Jason mm-hmm. being locked up in in some place. Whereas to Michael, like even the newest trilogy, trilogy points out, that is a complete impossibility because, like Loomis says, there is nothing else in Michael except complete eternal darkness. So in that sense also that the killers are kind of different presentations of, of the same topic. And because of that, yeah, I do think that if if you have watched Halloween franchise, sit through all, all the boring sequels, perhaps you can also stomach at least the first two Fridays. I, I'm not saying that they are necessarily interesting, because they are quite boring also. I'm not saying that they they somehow they they are ex- are ex- as exciting and go as many places as Halloween went as a franchise because especially early parts of the Friday franchise they are repetitious to a fault to to a, like like plot points happen exactly the same way at the exact same moments in in all the three first films. But I, I do think there is something to be seen in in the early Fridays. If you truly, truly have liked the Halloween franchise and you still have appetite for it, just a little bit more. Yeah, intellectually, Halloween is of kind of frustrating to watch if you take it in the sense that, yeah, that Dr. Loomis is being literal, that he is just pure evil, which Halloween from 2018 seems to take as literal that he's just pure evil so if if you if you take this movie intellectually like grounded then <laughs> what does that tell you about uh, about the, the kind of mental institutions that have been taking care of him as they are unable to reach any reasonable conclusion about his state but yeah it it, it depends on on how literally you take Loomis. If you don't, if you, if you take that Loomis is perhaps a bit overreacting cuckoo, in that case, it's a damning con, uh, condemnation of the mental health institutions. They mm-hmm. can't heal Michael Myers. They completely, constantly and repeatedly fuck up even the basic security features with Michael Myers. But if if you side with Loomis, if if you take him literally, if Michael is just pure darkness and nothing else. In that case, I don't think that the mental health institutions in, in Halloween can be held accountable for the inability to actually heal Michael. Mm. You, you can't fix something that is not broken because there is nothing in, in that, in, because there is nothing to fix in Michael. There's a dimension that is so completely void of Michael Myers that you can't can't heal it. It's it, heal him. It's impossibility. So so yeah, to repeat myself, completely dependent on what is your take on on the famous Loomis. I give this in every goddamn entry speech. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Try to put the films in order of preference, please. Ah. I guess I'll go first here too. So. It's it's not exactly clear cut when it comes to two and three, but 
I generally have a more positive uh, mental image of the second one than the third one, where I remember just spending some teenage hours with the third one and kind of zoning out because of, well, boredom. I'll put this in the order of two, three, and the last position to the first one. Okay, for me, basically, the for me... The, the in the in the third place automatically is is part three mm. because in in my opinion when it comes to comes to talk about uh, to talk about the the concept of love in these films in my in my opinion the part three has less to say about it <laughs> in that regard has nothing to say pretty much has nothing to say so so the real real conflict me with with me is is with Parts one and two, and I guess I I rank part two as my favorite, if mm. for nothing else because it, it because that one has has Kirsten Baker, <laughs> and I'm a heterosexual man. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, this is certainly a franchise that caters to to those. Dear listener, would you recommend these films, or would you have something else to say about the episode, or? about the other films in the franchise, perhaps. Come and tell us all about it on the social media pages. Or you can reach us by email as well, you know. You Heck, you can, I guess, write us a letter too. I'm not against it. We also do have a Patreon, still. So, uh, yeah, if you want this podcast to be carrying on happily, then I suggest you join there. Uh, what else did I miss out on? If you're listening on YouTube, heck yeah. I mean... Subscribe and all that. Not not really good at this self-advertising shit as a Finnish person, I guess. But yeah, do what you do, man. Do you have anything to add, possibly? No, not, not at this point. Do remember to check out Jason X. Unlike Halloween, <laughs> this franchise actually goes into space. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Insert a Neil Armstrong joke here. But yeah, in the next episode, well, I guess we just have to see what happens. But um, I'm all down to some interesting shit in the next one as well. Eric, I think I do see you in a fortnight. Oh, until then. Definitely check out Fridays.